0: Last week, we looked at uh, God uh, coming to Elijah as Elijah was hiding in a, a cave on uh, Mount Sinai. And God spoke to him and gave Elijah three tasks to do. And uh, this is Elijah accomplishing his first task. That is uh, of anointing uh, Elisha as prophet to succeed him to speak to the rebellious northern kingdom of, of Israel. So here we are with 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 15. This is God's word, eternally true. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. Sorry, that's verse 15. I said 19, didn't I? Verse 15. I'll start again. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Mahalo to succeed you as a prophet or to succeed you as prophet. Yehu will begin to, will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his attendant. Here ends our reading. You have a response of thankfulness that's printed for you uh, in your bulletin or up here. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks indeed. Let's pray um as we as we look at this and look at this this passage is it's funny in looking at this passage if you have a study Bible you'll see quickly that uh, people don't say much about this passage because they don't know what to do with it <laughs> for instance just to get out of the way because I'll probably forget that it doesn't mean anything look at that look at right the end of verse 20 look down there in your Bibles um, Elijah says, "Go back, what have I done to you and nobody knows what What's going on there? What have I done to you? It's probably some expression that's just like, sure, go do that. Go ahead. If we look at the rest, the, the, the text and the context we see, that yeah, seems to be what's being said there. And a lot of times there are expressions that are funny. Like uh, if, if we said, I'm down with that, somebody 200 years ago would not know what we meant, right? And so there's some expressions in scripture that we just say, I've got to derive this from the context around here. And so we see um, uh, Elijah, Elisha, uh, glad uh, for the new calling on his life. He runs after Elijah and he says, let me just shore up things here so I can follow you with nothing to hinder me. And so he goes back and he kisses his mother and father goodbye. He burns his plowing equipment and, and cuts up the oxen, gives everybody a feast. And then he's and then he's off. Um, so nothing really funny going on there, except that this is some expression that that uh, uh, we, we don't know. Um, but uh, uh, funny things that we see here and, and uh, um, a, a text that we don't usually see a lot of comment on. I looked over many commentaries on this, too, and nobody says anything because they don't know what's what's going on. Uh, but you can see what's happening if you consider who the writer of Kings is writing to. and and what their issues were as they they sat in exile. And one of the issues for them, and one of the issues for us, especially as American citizens, is that we love independence, and we hate authority. Uh, King George III is the enemy. For those of you who didn't learn history, that was the king in England during the time of the American Revolution. And we love our independence, and we celebrate our Independence Day On July 4th, Um, we love the expression, take this job and shove it. And you're not the boss of me. Uh, But these are sub-biblical ways of being. Um, When we come to understand biblical uh, structure and biblical authority, we can uh, come to see that the problems on the earth are largely solved by people recognizing and submitting to their authorities whereas they promote something that's not evil and for authorities acting like authorities and doing what's good for the people underneath them. Um, when when that's not the case, there's unrest and gossip. Gossip is a way to get at authorities um, and, and all kinds of, you know, it's what wars come from um, and and breakups and divorces and and company splitting and all that kind of thing. And so um, as we look at this text, this is a text about authority in Scripture. Uh, This is a text where the original readers of this were to see the reason you're in exile is because you weren't listening to your authorities. I sent you, God says through this text, prophet after prophet after prophet to remind you of my law, and you didn't listen. And that's why you're sitting in Babylon in exile right now not sovereign over your own destiny captive in a captivity in Babylon right now and weeping on the banks of the river Euphrates instead of being by the Jordan and in Jerusalem as a sovereign, uh, a sovereign nation, um, just simply following, following the Lord. And so as we go through this text, uh, I'm going to essentially make the main point um, and we We will hit um, qualifications later and sometimes in the midst of it. But I I want to tell you, just in a mindset, allow me to make the main point. I want you to hear the main point. As I've indicated to us already, we are resistant to the main point because we are Americans. And we as Christians want to be Christians first. First. Not Americans first. We don't want to object to the Bible and say, well, that's not American. Now, we would never voice that. But that's kind of within our souls from growing up, unless you didn't grow up in the United States. Um, some countries, it's less, it's less that way. Uh, so uh, just know this about yourself and um, know that this is something I really need to, to listen uh, to and, and when you when you feel a little worried, I want you to feel a little worried um, and know that I'll make appropriate um, exceptions and qualifications. Um, but um, here's the deal. Um, in the United States and, and in our sin natures, uh, in life with anything, there's always fourteen percent exceptions. I just pulled that number out of the air. 14% exceptions and 86% is by the rule. But what we do, which is the work of foolishness and of fools, is we say, well, that's not always true. And we name the 14%. And then we live our lives wrong 86% of the time. And that is foolish, brothers and sisters. And I see this all the time online and I see this among conversation among friends and different people. They say, well, that's not always true as if that means it's 0% of the time true and therefore I can live as if that's never true because there are 14% in which qualifications mediate the truth that would be 100% true if we were in the new heavens and new earth. But it's only 86% of the time true now. And so what I'm saying to you here is, as you listen to this, I want you to grasp the 86% and to say, this is how I am going to live my life. And then I'll make appropriate qualifications for those 14% of times that there's an exception based on something quirky that's been brought up because there's sin in the world. Okay. Does that make sense? Um, so number one number one to, to get into it here God ordains human authorities for his people God ordains human authorities for his people we see this in verse 16 and verse 19 so look there in your Bibles there verse 16 also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel so Right there, we have you know, God ordains kings to be over us. Uh, we can see that even today with people who aren't kings over covenant people uh, with 1 uh, first, first Peter 2 and Romans 13. All authorities God ordains, puts in place over us. Uh, but especially over God's people, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, um, as to succeed you, As prophet. Okay, so human authorities. So what we're saying here is God doesn't just speak to you directly. Not even in Old Testament times did he speak to his people directly. And you may remember the time at Mount Sinai when when God is speaking to all the people when they first get there at Mount Sinai. And it's too it's too overwhelming for the people. And they, 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 they yell to Moses, don't let God do that again. Let God speak to you and then you speak to us. This is too overwhelming for us. The mountain's shaking and there's smoke and there's fire and there's thunder. And so in, Old Test, in the Old Testament, one error, especially among American evangelicals, is to say, God will speak directly to me. How do you know this? Well, God spoke to my heart. That is, God spoke directly to me. And if you say that, I'm being sarcastic. If you say, God spoke to my heart, then you can do anything you want and God approves of it. Shame on you. Okay? That is not a ticket to do anything you want. I know you guys aren't doing that. But get that. Get that. Um, God spoke to your heart. The question then is, Okay, what did God speak to your heart? Was He reminding you of a scriptural command that you need to apply now? Okay, good. Now let's look at your circumstances. Is it appropriate for you to apply that? Are you in the right circumstances to apply that? Um, Okay, good. Looks like you are. Go for it. So if that's what you mean by God spoke to my heart, That I'm in these certain circumstances and it seems like I need to apply this. Okay, so um, uh, uh, submit, uh, uh, you know, uh, honor your mother and father. Okay. Is this your mother and father? Is yelling at them, honoring them? No. Did God speak to your heart and tell you to not yell at your father? Yes. Okay. God spoke to your heart. He reminded you of the fifth commandment. Okay. Um, God speaks to us indirectly through the Bible. Okay. That's not God's audible voice. That's not God saying, you know, well, Carson's in this place on the soccer field right now. He shouldn't trip that guy. Okay. But if Carson thinks I shouldn't trip that guy, cause that's against the rules. And God tells us to be, you know, good citizens and to obey the rules, to respect authorities. And the authorities have said, you can't trip a guy. Then, boom, don't trip the guy. Um, And so we think in America that God hears us. And that's that's the foundation of charismatic churches, isn't it? God spoke to me and he said. And then what happens to the Bibles in those churches? (laughs) Out the door in the garbage can. If you have charismatic friends, you know, that's true. They're doing all kinds of stuff. Now, there are brothers and sisters in Christ, so don't be nice to them. okay? But they're doing all kinds of stuff that is contradicting this. They're believing all kinds of stuff that is not supported by this. Because if you're... And, and here's why you're especially gracious to them. They've been taught that. They've had authorities over them who have taught them that. And they're trying to be faithful. Okay, so be gracious to them. But what happens to people in charismatic church environments where the pastor says God spoke to me last night or God spoke to me this week. Why do you need the Bible? Why not just wait for Sunday to hear what God's saying today? He's got a specific message for me today. Why learn the Bible? That's hard. This book is big. That's hard to learn all this. And to try to apply it to my particular circumstances. It's easy if my pastor just says, you need to quit your job and pick up and move and we're going to start a new church in Salt Lake City. Okay? Um, You know, so that happens. Um, And and so, um, God speaks to us indirectly through the scriptures. Um, He ordains human authorities for his people. And um, God's people in exile... Receiving first kings had not respected their human authorities. They, weren't res- they hadn't respected Elijah. They didn't respect Elisha after him. They didn't uh, respect any of the writ- the prophets we have that are writing prophets and the, the books of the prophets in the Bible. And they probably, we suspect, weren't uh, respecting Eli- or Ezekiel who was in exile with them preaching. And this is a message that God sends human authorities. Listen to those human authorities insofar, here's an exception or not an exception Here's a qualification insofar as they support what they're saying with the Bible. And that's what Ezekiel was doing. All the prophets are just taking the books of Moses and proclaiming them to their particular circumstances. Okay, and that's that's what I do. I just take, take this book here and proclaim it to us in our particular circumstances uh, what has God said in this book um, that applies to us today some of those things are general like you need to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins uh, that's general um, some things are are specific you know we if you need to pay your taxes to the state of North Carolina uh, because Romans 13 that's why we pay our taxes and we pay them jesus paid his taxes peter did right they pulled that coin out of the the the, the fish's mouth and paid the taxes Um, jesus was asked should we pay our taxes to caesar and jesus says yes you should whose whose image is on this coin it's caesar's render under caesar's with caesar so so we do that but if you're in the state of florida don't pay your taxes to the state. Is there no state taxes in Florida? (laughs) Just sales tax, no income tax uh, down there. So particular things. So if I were preaching in Florida, I would not say pay your state income taxes. Right. Um, So human authorities are there. Um, It's not just me and Jesus. It's not just me and my Bible. I'll interpret it for myself. But. But. But uh, now, no, we can, as we're guided along by human authorities that God gives us. But God provides human authorities for His people. Elijah, Elisha, First Samuel 16. There, as you look in your outline, that's David. He anoints David to be king over his people through the prophet Samuel. First, um, First uh, Samuel 18:4 and and 23:5 through 5 through 8. You see uh, anointing uh, there, uh, uh, selecting uh, people, human authorities. Um, to be over, to be over God's people. Um, that in First uh, Samuel 18, um, Jonathan, son of Saul, gives David his cloak. Sound familiar? A symbol of authority. And, and then he, he proclaims to David that I will follow you. You will rule over Israel. Jonathan, heir to the throne, presumably son of Saul, says, you will take the throne and I will follow you, David. Just promise to me that you'll be kind to me and to my descendants. And so David is with like Methuselah and and so forth. So what's that? Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Yeah, thank you, Mephibosheth. A wrong, long M name there. (laughs) Um, But we see this in Ephesians, Ephesians four as well, that there. are There are people ordained in the church um, to to be over us. Uh, Jesus, Luke Luke 2, uh, 67 through 76, is Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. And he indicates that his son, John the Baptist, would anoint the new king, the new son of David, to be the authority over God's people. And and in fact, in that second Luke passage there, that's what John the Baptist does. Uh, Gives us a, a, a true human who's also truly God, Jesus to be over us. Um, So in Scripture we see this ordaining of two leadership authorities for God's people, um, whether it's uh, David or 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 the priests or prophets uh, who are over us. So, a. There in your outline, a. um, God ordains; He ordains authorities for His people um, through those He previously ordained. God ordains authorities for his people through those he previously ordained. So we see this in, in this passage here. How does God ordain that uh, who's going to take over the, the, the word of God, the proclamation of Moses um, to God's people after Elijah is gone? A- and uh, it's because Elijah anoints this new, new prophet, Elisha um uh, moses um designates joshua at, at god's god's command um there's this uh, anointing of those who go after them david has solomon anointed in jerusalem and we get the whole palm sunday uh picture comes from that uh, david puts solomon on his own mule and he comes up from the uh, Gihon uh, Valley, where the Garden of Gethsemane is, rides up into Jerusalem, and is anointed as king before the, before the people there and, and takes, his, takes his throne. Um, so that's why the people say to Jesus, Hosanna to the Son of David, because Jesus has just done the, the same thing. Um, but Jesus himself has been anointed by human authority. We see this in, in Acts chapter 6 as well. Um, Deacons, that's your reference there. Deacons are, are anointed by the apostles there uh, to serve uh, in the church. Um, we read, Jim read for us, Acts 14, 23. What do Paul and Barnabas do after they've planted all these new churches? They go back to each city and appoint elders in each church. Elders, plural, in each church to take over spiritual leadership in each of those churches. That's Acts fourteen twenty three. Um, In 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul uh, says he's laid his hands on Timothy. He had ordained Timothy, and now Timothy uh, was a pastor. Uh, Titus 1.5, Paul writes to Titus. He's left Titus back on the island of Crete and says, Titus, the reason I left you behind on Crete was that you might appoint elders there for the churches. And so Uh, um, leadership for the church comes through ordination for leaders for the church comes from those who have been ordained. And we see that here in this passage with Elijah placing his cloak um, the symbol of authority on Elisha. Elijah places his cloak on Elisha just as Jonathan had done uh, uh, on David. Um, So now um, uh, we uh, say something that's very relevant to our um, uh, life now. There are his next line in your outline there. Um, No self-proclaimed authorities. Okay, no self-proclaimed authorities. Um, Hebrews 1 verses 1 and 2 says that in the Old Testament times, God spoke to us in a different way, Um, in many ways and in many fashions. Dreams and prophets and visions and that kind of thing. But in this day, he's spoken to us in his son. And then in in the next chapter, the writer of Hebrews says, and his son spoke to us and his apostles have repeated his words to us. And those are the words we have now in the New Testament. Uh, The words of the apostles recorded for us in the New Testament. So beware of somebody who by himself says, God has called me to be a pastor. God has called me to be a leader. I once heard somebody say, I know for a fact that God has called me to be an elder in this church when the elders had just said, no, he hasn't. Um, And and so it's it's uh, no self-proclaimed authorities. And you'll see that on Christian TV a whole bunch. God called me. It's what Joseph Smith did when he started the Mormon church. No one ordained him to ministry. He said, I had a vision, and that an angel, which you don't know his name, you can't see him, and he gave me these golden tablets, which I read, and I'll tell you what they said, but you can't find them. (laughs) Joseph Smith self proclaimed himself to be a leader and said, literally, the Baptists, the Methodists, and the Presbyterians have it all wrong. Um, And so he introduces new doctrine. So beware of that. Um, As you're um, taking on leadership or listening to someone speak of anybody who said, God said to me, if he's not one that uh, um, current leaders of the church who have been ordained and examined and and found uh, um, uh, meeting qualifications of church leadership that we find in Titus one and first first Timothy three, if they have said somebody is worthy. Uh, and somebody meets these qualifications to lead God's people, then we say, okay, great. Uh, But if that hasn't happened, um, we want to say, I'll treat you like my brother or sister in church. If what you're saying matches with Scripture, okay. But it's just not the same thing as an ordained authority that God has given to the church. Now, B, B, in the church today, the authorities God ordains for his people Are elders, Um, that's the there are two offices, two offices in the church, elders and deacons. And the elders are those who are the authorities or the leaders. The the deacons are the servants. um, And and so the elders take on that that uh, noble role like David had nobles from the various tribes, elders, the elders of Israel, like Moses had. And they have this authority over the people under the chief authority, the king. And elders in the church have this chief, uh, have this authority under the chief authority, Jesus. Uh, Peter, in referencing himself as an elder in the church, uh, says in the the next verse that we didn't read, verse four, that Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the chief elder. Um, He's the one that really directs things. And that elders in a church are just carrying out his will, proclaiming his truth and not inventing that uh, for themselves or coming up with with new things. So in the church today, the, order, the authorities God ordains for his people are elders. And your blanks there uh, are there are two kinds of elders in the church, which we saw in First Timothy 517. There are ruling and teaching Elders as we call them in shorthand, or sometimes we can refer to this as shepherding or or teaching elders. Really, all elders are teaching or all elders are are ruling and shepherding. Um, They're doing that work. But some, Paul says, are especially devoted to teaching. That's what he says in First Timothy 517. And so we call teaching elders pastors It's a synonym for that, which we see in scripture, like in places like uh, uh, Ephesians 4. There are pastors in the church who are who are teachers or teaching elders. Um, And so this is what the New Testament shows us. It's not a not a mystery. Um, Paul goes around Acts 14 and he ordains he and Barnabas ordain elders to the church. Titus one, he tells Titus, I left you behind on the island of Crete that you might ordain elders to the churches there on Crete. Um, He tells Timothy as Timothy's probably in Ephesus. Timothy, here are the qualifications for elders of the church. And in that qualification, he says they must be um, good leaders of their families and their children. Or how else? How will they be a manager and a leader of the church if they haven't managed and led their families well? So, elders are those who have this this leadership, this authority in directing the affairs of the church, uh, as as again as Paul says in First Timothy five seventeen, the word to give honor to those who direct the affairs of the church, um, and then especially uh, those whose work is teaching and, and preaching. Um, so ruling and teachers, teaching elders. Um, some churches don't understand this. Um, they're not trying to be evil. Um, they just haven't given adequate attention to this. Uh, at scripture, you have multiple elders in each church. In Acts 14.23, uh, they go to each city and appoint elders for each church, Plural. Um, And that these elders are divided into teaching elders and ruling elders, uh, 1 Timothy 5, 17. And that's an essential thing for a church to have. Paul plants the churches, gets on elsewhere, but goes back to those churches and then sees, okay, who's kind of being acknowledged here? Who do we see as the most mature here in these young churches that we can then appoint the office of being an elder of the church and to take the spiritual care and the shepherding of this church um, here. Um, So um, why does God have, next, why does God have and ordain authorities for you? Um, See, see, this is why God has and ordains authorities for you. God ordains elders in the church to lovingly oversee, to lovingly oversee your life um see and this is where we um kind of get off especially as americans because we you know if you're you know thinking of uh, our independence as a nation you're thinking of you know king george the 3rd and and his parliament there and taxation without representation and boston tea party and and we're like how dare you tax us too much right and, and uh So I'm reading in Genesis right now. Joseph proposed and succeeded in giving a 20% tax to Egypt. (laughs) That then stays in place. Now, God's tax is 10%. um, So he's more in line with Steve Forbes in 1996, I guess. The flat tax. Um, But uh, um, uh, God ordains elders in the church to lovingly oversee our lives. And we think Britain was not lovingly overseeing us. And so we're going to rebel. Uh, but in the church, while secular rulers may try to, as Jesus said, lord it over you. So your, your, your um, declaration of the gospel this morning. The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them of the nations. It's the same word in the nations out there in civil authority that the authorities lord it over people. And those authorities who are lording it over the people have greater authorities who are lording it over them. Exercising authority over them. But then Jesus says, but not so with you, apostles, leaders in the church. You as great authorities in the church are to be the slave of all who are in the church. Okay? And so we God has authorities in the church, elders in the church to lovingly oversee us not to lord it over us not to use their authority to extract from us as a member of the church to their own gain and glory and ease but rather to exercise their authority in a loving way as they oversee oversee your life for your your good so Acts twenty. 28 X 2017 20, uh, Peter has landed on the coastal town of Miletus on the on the western coast of Greece and Ephesus was about a half hour inland and so he he says he calls for the elders that's the word elders or presbyters from which we get Presbyterian that's the Greek word for elders presbyter he calls for the presbyters the elders of the ephesian church to come to him and meet him in miletus there on the coast and so all the elders plural come to to paul on the coast there in miletus and then as he talks to them as they come to him he calls them overseers which is where we get the term bishop um, it's episkopos so uh, it's epis- the episcopalian church is a church that has bishops okay they get that it's Epa, which means over, and scope, which means look, oversee. That's the word. Episcopos means overseeing church. So the Episcopalian church is an overseeing church. But it's it's an error to think that bishops are a different category than elders because Paul says, gathers the elders to him and calls them overseers, which is a translation for what we get bishops, that word for. And so elders are called to oversee. Or if you look in the passage we looked at from from first Peter five, um, Peter says, you know, as your fellow elder. Oversee. See, It's just interchangeable. Those two things. And so a chief job of elders in the church is to oversee your life. Lovingly. Out of love for you, uh, because And the reason for this, because Christ, our king, spilled his blood for you. You're his sheep. We don't own you. He does. And he's told us to to love you, to oversee your life, to keep you from harming yourself. That's the job of elders. Uh, Our our pastor in uh, Florida, Mike Malone, used to say that the job of the pastor is to keep uh, and, and elders all together is to keep the sheep from, destroy, from harming their lives, harming themselves too much over the course of their lives. <laughs> and, and, and really to see that in a more positive spin to enable you to prosper, to prosper in your lives, to have full, healthy souls uh, that are, that are, are, are teeming of the character of God Blessing the people around you by who you are, by how you're treating people and for you to be experiencing blessing as God wants you to experiencing it. Even if that means being persecuted because people are bugged by you being so nice. <laughs> um, but God ordains elders in the church to lovingly oversee your life. So that's Acts twenty twenty eight. Uh, uh, Paul says to the elders there, oversee the church. Keep watch over yourselves and over the flock which God has put you, the Holy Spirit has put you in charge. Um, 1 Peter 5 3, that's, that's the job. Uh, oversee. Um, and don't lord it over those entrusted to your charge. A- and don't do this begrudgingly, but do this willingly, with, with joy, um, for their, for their sake. Um, Hebrews 13, 17 um, says to the people in the church, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. But here, hear, listen to what it says about the elders, for they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. So that's why elders, that's why human authorities, elders are in the church. Uh, they're over you. They oversee your life and they have to give an account for your life, for how well you've prospered and loved Jesus and followed him and represented him well and brought him glory through their lives. Elders will give an account for that um, in their lives by their work. So next line there for you. Jesus uses elders. Jesus uses elders as extensions of himself. He's the great elder. Jesus is the chief shepherd. The elder is the under-shepherd. The elder is, you know, not the not the chief shepherd, but he's one of the assistant shepherds that's over a segment of the flock who belongs to the chief shepherd. So like like Jacob sends his sons out to take care of the flocks, but they're Jacob's sheep sheep's. sheeps huh? They're Jacob's sheep. Um there, and and that's, that's what elders are. They're under shepherds taking care, taking care of the sheep, acting as extensions of Jacob or extens, extensions of, of Jesus caring for his sheep. So Jesus uses elders as extensions of himself to, here's your blank, to shepherd you, to shepherd you for your good. And so the job of an elder, is we, and as we talk about it in our session meetings, and our elder meetings, is how can we shepherd you, Christ's people, citizens of heaven, in this church in a way that's to your good, where you see Christ better, you love him more, you live unto his glory for your good and for your blessing. And so we're sorting out things that'll be a distraction to that in your life and bringing things in and and, and saying, how can we do this better? How can we bring Christ more to the fore? How can we help God's people in our church see this, see this better? And and so, again, just just structurally in, in your your worship bulletin, your order of worship each week. You know, we don't put names on the elements um there and and, you know that's this morning you know and so jim smith's name is over each thing he's leading and sermon you know gospel lesson pastor john we don't put that there because we don't want we want our names in eight point font i think that's what i put it in on the back of the bulletin just big enough for you to read so in case you need us you can find us (laughs) um but but christ gets gets prominence um, in the church and Christ is using elders in the church to shepherd you for your good. So just think about this as we're looking as to what Jesus does and says and looking at scripture, the elders in the church. Jesus says this in John ten eleven. I am the what kind of shepherd? The good shepherd. And that passage there, he's talking to the Pharisees. That's his that's his audience there. The Pharisees. And he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. And then you know what he calls the Pharisees? The thieves who've hopped over the gate. Not come in through the gate. He says, I'm also the gate. (laughs) And and the Pharisees have hopped over the gate to do you harm. they are wolves among the flock. But I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And false shepherds, when a wolf comes, they run away because they don't want to get attacked by the wolf. And so they'll sacrifice the sheep for their own good, but not me. I'm the good shepherd. My sheep need me to die for them. Okay, I'll lay my life down for them. That's Jesus being the good shepherd, putting himself before the wolf or or the the, the, uh, prowling lion putting himself before uh, Satan um, who, who held the keys of death till Jesus grabbed it from him in his resurrection. Um, uh, Jesus does that for the sheep. And so elders represent this good shepherd who wants good for you, who has who sacrificed for you, who gave his life, Ephesians 5, 2, for you. The shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. So elders in Christ's stead and for him Are for your sakes. Um, They're put in place. Elders in a church. Are put in place. Who are for your good. Representing the good shepherd. To lead you to the good pastures. Not to the pastures. With with thistles and weeds. And and snakes in the grass. And so elders are called. To lay their lives down. uh, For you. Uh, Probably they won't have to do this. Physically die for you. But they will have to expend their time and their effort for your good. Uh, Most of the time when you're not looking. uh, And since we have our elders meetings at 7 a.m. on Saturday, most of the time when you're still sleeping. um, And rightly so, if you if you get up a little later on Saturday morning, um, they're doing things for you, like praying for you, uh, teaching you, giving you biblical wisdom whenever you ask for it from them in spending time and thought and effort to make sure the structure of our church is such that you see Jesus and know him for your own good. This is all, this doesn't just happen. Um, the, The worship service isn't the way it is. The structure of even how we sit here is not how it is because it's just happenstance. We think through everything we can think of to think through, um, so that you can have fruit, spiritual fruit um, in your lives. And all this stuff has gone into um, what, what, what is here for you here. Um, and usually the effort of elders is to no benefit to them. Um, they're praying and for you and they don't see the benefit of that. They're, they're, you know, we've got our, our elders... Uh, prayer email that doesn't go to everybody else from prayer requests that come and sometimes those are a good number and we enjoy getting those from you and we're praying and our elders write that down they've got it by email and and we're praying for that during the week for you and, and uh, you know i was i was um uh, speaking once at an ordination or an installation service for the pastor down in fuquay Verena maybe four years ago and and i had the role in the the the, the ordination or the installation service of speaking to the congregation uh, before they gave their vows to the, to the pastor who was taking charge of their church. And I said, treat this guy well because he's going to be praying for you when your spouse isn't, when your kids isn't, aren't, when your mom, when your mom and dad aren't. He will be praying for you. And how dare you hang him up on a tree when he's been doing this for you for all this time. When he's been spilling his mental energy every week for you. When he's been heart, heart torn at decisions that you've made that have been towards your bad. When he's grieved with you and said, oh no. When he's been the one that you know, called you when tragedy has hit. Right? Um, this is stuff all going in the background. And it's not to, it's not to the elders benefit. They're not getting anything out of it um they're not they're not saying, "Oh great, I'll be an elder because I'll get a paycheck and I won't have to, I'll have to do less in the church. They continue to not get a paycheck except for me, um so be suspect of me because I get paid for doing this <laughs> um, but they continue to not get a paycheck and then they do they take all this other work on on themselves and they have to come up here and lead a service, and you know you know the the chief fear among people is public speaking. And second is death. Uh, and so they do that and, and work, through, work through all that. Um, but Paul tells the elders, this is not about you. He says, Acts 20, 20, be shepherds of the church of God, which Jesus bought with his own blood. Shepherding is about the sheep. It's about caring for the ones who. God Almighty, who created the heavens and the earth. Jesus, by whom nothing that has been made exists. He valued these people, these sheep so much that he came to earth and he died for them. So care for them, shepherd them, oversee them. So Peter addresses the elders in 1 Peter 5. and He says this, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Elders are put in place to care for you that are under your care, serving as overseers, getting that word oversee. They're overseeing your life, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve and not lording it over those entrusted to you. Okay. so in shepherding um, D, moving on in shepherding you and God's people today. Elders will do. Elders will do two things. Um, two things that we see here um, in this passage. Um, two things that we see uh, Elijah and Elisha doing. Uh, number one, they teach the Bible. They teach the Bible, God's truth, to God's people. And bottom line of this is they are exhorting them to faithfulness to God. That's what Elijah is doing. Um, We see this in 818. You know, he confronts confronts the king with this, Ahab. And he says, you need to be following the God of our fathers. And instead, you're following the Baals. And that's why this drought has come upon the land. That's the job of of the um, elders in the church today. Those who've been ordained to lead the church is to teach God's people, leading them um, to faithfulness. Uh, to God. Um, Paul gets at this. When he talks to Timothy. In 2nd Timothy. Timothy is pastoring a church in Ephesus. And he says this to Timothy. In terms of preaching. Teaching God's word. To the benefit of God's people. He says this. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct. Rebuke. Elijah and Elisha were doing a lot of that. Correct. Rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. So elders in the church teach the Bible unto faithfulness in God, even if that calls them to correct and rebuke, uh, but certainly also to encourage God's people. So, why God ordains people to be elders in the church, to encourage you, to rebuke and correct you. And every time we look at Scripture, we know that that should have that effect on us. Uh, you know, A little bit earlier in 2 Timothy 3.16, he said that's what Scripture does. All Scripture is inspired by God. It teaches us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, and it trains us in righteousness. And so as Christians, we should always be in this process of being taught and rebuked and corrected by Scripture. And as elders present Scripture, they do that, by teaching and preaching the word of God. And the word of God has that function in our lives to get us more in line with the character of Jesus. Um, So that's one function that ordained leadership has in the church is Elijah and Elisha had this function and and had that function as they went to kings and confronted them and and, and tried to instruct them in the truth. Uh, And then number two, the other function that, that leaders in the church have is that they purify God's people. They purify God's people. Now look at verse 17. Look at verse 17 there. What God says to Elijah is that Elisha would put to death any Haziel and Jehu miss. So, you know, if you think in terms of big box and little box, you know, there, there are all these people in covenant with God in northern Israel. Now we learned last week there were 7,000 who had not Uh, bowed their knee to Baal. 7,000 who were faithful, but the vast majority um, were unfaithful to God. And so God has a a solution to that. He's going to purify his people. Okay, so just because someone's in the people of God, just because someone's in the church, doesn't mean he's born again. Doesn't mean he's not bowing the knee to Baal, even though he's present among God's people just like in this Old Testament circumstance here. And God says, I'm going to start clearing these people out. I'm going to do it through Haziel, king of Aram, who's going to be all this trouble to Israel and actually kill people through war. And um, and then I'll also do it through uh, Jehu, who's going to come and he's going to put to death the house of Ahab and all associated with Ahab. And anyone who's left after those two, there we go. And this verse here, verse 17, Elisha will take care of. Okay, so that's a function that Elisha has. Elijah had had this, right? Uh, at Mount Carmel. Okay, now God proved he was God and that Baal is not. Now kill all the prophets of Baal. <laughs> so this is, this is something that God's representatives do, that God's leadership does. It purifies God's people, not only by teaching uh, the Bible, but purifying them in this way. Now, elders in the church, don't put anyone to death. Hang on with me. Uh, Hang on with me here. Um, Numbers 25, we see the same thing. Uh, The people of God worship the Baals at a place called Peor, a little city called Peor. This is under Moses in Moses day, right before they're heading into the promised land. They're on the other side of the Jordan still, still haven't crossed the Jordan River. And they start worshiping Baal and Moses and the judges of Israel and Phineas, the priest, put to death those in Israel who are worshiping the Baals. Purifying, putting to death. Um, We talked about before that if you lived in Old Testament Israel, it's in the law of Moses that if somebody rises up and worships another God, you put him to death. And if a town has had somebody rise up and worship and, and promote the worshiping of another God, the whole town should be put to death because the town is put up with this. That's the law of Moses. Uh, and so God's leaders have this function of purifying, of purifying God's people. And in the Old Testament, we see this in this, this physical and physical death kind of way. But God's truth doesn't disappear in the New Testament. Um, how do we put to death? And who do we put to death? And how is that in New Testament times? You saw a hint of it in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 this morning. Uh, Paul refers to those who used to be his helpers in the church, Hymenaeus and, and Alexander and somebody, I think there was a third person there. And they'd left the faith. Um, they'd paid attention to, to glory, self-glory in the church and attention, that kind of thing. And they had shipwrecked their faith. And, and Paul speaks to how he had excommunicated um, these, these people who had helped him in the church. And he refers to it as handing them over to Satan. Um, the kingdom of the world is led by the kingdom, by the, the king of the world, as Jesus refers to him. Um, the prince of this world, Jesus says, and and Paul casts them out of the church, out of the kingdom of God on the earth and puts them out of church membership. Uh, Paul also refers to this uh, when he talks to a, a, about an immoral man in in first Corinthians five excommunication, where uh, the elders of the church due to incessant unrepentance in belief or in action. After. Patient, long-suffering, pleading with a person. When the person remains uh, um, uh, uh, resistant to repent, um, the leadership is forced to say, I don't see evidence of the Holy Spirit or submission to our King Jesus in you. And so we have to revoke your church membership and communicate to you and to others that those who believe as you're currently believing and those who are acting as you're currently acting. Uh, and, and, and in Corinth, it was a situation of a, a man having sexual relations with his mother and, or his stepmother. Um, that that, uh, uh, that, that such, such a person is not a believer. Uh, and so that's excommunication. That's putting to death. That's casting out of the land, the church, the promised land of today for believers—that's casting out uh, such people. And so, in this way, elders purify the church. Uh, sometimes elders are called to to remove people from the membership role, uh, whether by no longer attending any church at all, and speaking with them. And we can't just cut somebody off. We communicate with them, and we wait and we wait and say, please, you know, even if you've moved away, get in another church. And if they don't, then we cut them off and we say to them in the letter we send to them, this means you have membership in no church and there's no visible demonstration on this earth that you are a member of the body of Christ. And we hope that you take that very seriously and, and take up membership in the, church, in the church again. And so there's this purification um, that happens in excommunication. Um, and so elders have these two functions, teaching the Bible and purifying God's people. Now, these two come together in what is letter C. Letter C. Often elders' teaching of the Bible acts to purify the church. We're going to end on on this point here this morning. Often elders' teaching of the Bible acts to purify the church in two ways. Um, A. um, Those who aren't believers and want to play church. Okay, Those who want to play church and don't care about God. If the Bible is preached in that church. They will leave. And, and I came to see this very early. In the first year of being a pastor. Um, some people left. Because they said. Oh you're calling me to change my life. In some kind of way. According to the Bible. And they were offended. And they left. Um, and so. You know, I refer to that as preaching people. Out of the church. I don't want to preach anyone out of the church. Uh, And and if someone comes into the church and they think they're a believer and then find out they're not, I want them to have the other response. You know, there's the one response stomping off mad. That's response number one to the word of God. The other response is repentance and faith. And so some of you have had that experience. You grew up in the church and you came in here or came into another church somewhere and then realized I'm the one who needs to repent and believe, not just those other bad people out there. And you had that good response that God wrought in you, brought about in you of, of believing. But sometimes this act of teaching God's word um, purifies the church. And, and just it's just the case. The more the Bible is preached, the more the church will be Pure. The higher the percentage of the people who are sitting there will actually be born again believers, and if we want to grow the church, and if we want to grow the church here, um, I, I love. I'm going to embarrass Anthony here for a second. Here, when he first came to the church, and both talked to him going back, uh, Anthony said, "Man, that was a lot of scripture," and Anthony loved it. <laughs> and but that that's what we want to do, and we talk about this as a session. We want to drench you when you're here. Everything, every element of the, the service. We want to drench you in, in scripture. You're not getting in anywhere else. So if we don't do it, where are you going to get it? Right. Um, and, and so we, we bring that to you. And, and so that's offensive. The Bible is offensive all the time that the most the most obedient of, of, of human believers on the earth is always being called to repent and be more like Christ. To see more things. You know, Paul indicated, the more I grow to know Christ, the worse I see that I was in the past and the more I th- see there are things to still work on. And so this requires of us, you know, this this heart of repentance and always wanting to be more like Christ and and this attitude of thank you for this. I realize I need to be more like Christ in this way. And some of you have said those kind of things to, to us as elders in the church. And that's indeed um, how you should How you should how you should be, Um, so generally you know that's just the case. If we want to grow this church, we remove scripture, and we remove things like hell, and we remove things like the lake of fire, and we and we say, hey, you're okay. We're all under grace, and we go to the lowest common denominator of what we can say and still be a Christian church, and our church will get big. Don't mark my words. Mark the sociological studies of every church in the United States, right? Now, I'm not saying there aren't big churches that are faithful to the word. There are some of those churches that God has gathered lots of people to because people are just so thirsty for the word of God and they can't get it from other churches. And so they come in and they say, oh, thank you. This is an oasis. So don't, you know, don't assume that just because a church is big, it's, it's, it's compromised. Okay. It could be faithful teaching, and that's why God has grown, grown the church. Uh, but as a pastor, as a session, we have that choice. Um, we could get bigger. We know what we could do. But Paul said, we will give, or sorry, the writer of Hebrews said, we will give an account for you and your souls. And so we don't want you out there messing up your lives and the lives of your families just so we can get bigger because we haven't offended you okay um, and then b um, that's one way we purify we just teach the word and those who are like and I see it sometimes visitors come in here and I see their eyes rolling over they're like like that literally I, and I, I know I'm up here and I say they will not be back. I hope they come back and I pray that they will come back. But it's like I I came in here to check in and check out and eat lunch at noon. What are you doing to me? Yeah, I literally, basically had someone say that to me before as they left. Um, uh, B, um, by the way, all this stuff, guys, you're being faithful in this. And I'm encouraging you in your faithfulness. You care about things that are, you know, the important stuff. That's why you're that's why you're here. Um, And then B, another way that that God uses elders to purify the church is, is this. Those who so those who don't love God, they get offended by the word and they leave. And so that purifies the church. But those who love God, that's your blank there. Those who love God will be progressively purified by his word being taught in the church. And so you who love God, you're here. And you're being purified each week. John 17, 17. Jesus prays for those the disciples will bring to faith. And he says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How are we sanctified? And you know the word sanctified. It means to be set apart. How are we set apart from the character of the word? World. How are we set apart to be like Jesus instead of like the word? World. We are set apart by the word of God, the truth saying it's your, you know, preparing for the hearing of the word of God. Um, the disciples of Jesus, they are sanctified, set apart by the truth, um, purified, made more like Jesus. Or as Paul, as, as Paul said in his final words to the elders there at Ephesus, Acts twenty thirty two. Now I commit you speaking to the elders I commit you to the word of his grace, scripture. I commit you to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified, set apart, purified to be more like Jesus. And so elders are the authorities that God puts human authorities in the church for your good, for your sake. And they have this function like Elijah and Elisha had of purifying the church in these two ways. Uh, One, having the church be essentially those who are born again and hopefully those who aren't yet and are in the process of that. Um, And then two, having this function of purifying you to be still who you are, but more like Jesus in the character of who you are. So rejoice. Um, Elders are put in place for you out of the kindness of Jesus, out of the love of Jesus who cares for your life and loves you. He's put elders uh, over you in the church. Um, Next week, we'll talk about some of the qualifications of elders you want to follow and what elders are called to so that these things are always uh, true for you in the church as well. But with that, let's pray.